0: Welcome to the Absite Smackdown Podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, interesting Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back. It's me, your host, Jessica of Absite Smackdown Podcast. And with me today is Dr. David Kashmir. Hey, Dr. K.
1: Hey, Jessica, here we are again. Let's do
0: this. Let's do this. I love when you get the announcer voice going in there. Like, if I mean, if you ever decide to retire as a doctor, you could just, you know, be a media personality.
1: Hey, wow. (laughs) Well, you too. You too. I'm not sure I could handle being a media personality, especially those morning shows. I don't know how people wake up, get to the studio at 4 a.m. and they look so chipper. I'm just barely dealing with a cup of coffee and they are wide awake. I don't know if I could do that.
0: Really? Because... I, I think that you did that for years with rounds and four o'clock in the morning and people. Hmm. So mm, they just it's have good, to good. look good. You have to actually think good. It's, it's a whole different game.
1: Well, I guess that's a good point. I just don't know if I could have that level of energy and clarity at 5 a.m. But you're right. Uh, we do have to often do it. It's just part of the job for us. Anyway, what do we have to talk about today?
0: Well, So I had sent you an article last week that I had come across when I was doing research for the blog, and it was referencing residency surgical residents burnout and just discrimination and things like that. And it's something that we don't really talk about a whole lot because it can be controversial. Um, But the article I found kind of fascinating, just like some of the statistics in it. And again, and it was a survey. Um, You're pretty familiar with this, right? You read it.
1: Yeah, we had uh, two that we were talking about. One was from the New England Journal, and then one was from uh, the, um, I think it was the Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Right. One was all about abuse that happens during residency, uh, burnout. Then the second one focused mostly on burnout. So what do you say? New England Journal one?
0: Yeah, I like the New England Journal because, again, it was a survey done across a vast number and... It was—it's was just kind of fascinating to me how it broke down, and I kind of want to get your perspective on it, not only because you were a resident, but because then you ran a residency program, and so I'm sure you have a unique view on it. So, um, one of the things it was talking about, obviously, again, because it's a survey, it's just what these people are saying or reporting. You know, it's like their personal, you know, feelings or um, what they've come across. And so, um, one of the things they were talking about, so just. I'm going to look down at my notes really quick because numbers who remember you guys remember those I'm not as good. So it was 7,409 residents that they gave this survey to. And um it was 262 resident programs that they they did this. And um they were saying that 31.9% reported discrimination on gender. And so that was kind of fascinating to me because like when I first started reading that I was thinking um, like, you know, I was thinking in the workplace, like that kind of discrimination, but it was actually reported that it was from the patients and patients' families, not their coworkers and not, you know, their bosses or any of the other people. And I just, I thought that was really fascinating. And so, I mean, what experience or what do you think about that? um, You know, from what you've done?
1: Well, I'll tell you, First, just from a statistical standpoint, survey data is fraught with peril. And I'm not saying this to disagree with anything about this survey, but I just want the listeners to just remember, as we discuss this, um, I'm always asking myself, will this change what I do? Will these data change what I do? And again, survey data are particularly fraught with peril. First, response rates are typically really low to surveys. They may not even accurately reflect what the general group or the population you're studying, or the sample, what they even think. Now, Mm -hmm. this time, though, this is amazing. This was a really high response rate, 90% plus. A lot of surveys are like 30%. Surveys Mm -hmm. are like online comments, typically. You only get the people who really hated it or really loved it. Uh, You don't get much in between. So here, the really high response rate was fascinating. And I think it's because they gave it with the ab site. Uh, that's kind of how I think you found it was you're kind right. of looking for ab site related material. Exactly. These surveys, this and another article we looked at were related to the ab site mm-hmm. and I'll share with you a couple things surprised me and then I'll get directly to what you asked me about. Okay. First uh, the percentage of women in surgical residency. Um, I think it was higher than I expected experientially. Mm-hmm. And that was useful to me to kind of disabuse uh, me from the fact that I thought there were even less female surgical residents and there aren't, there's a surprisingly high percentage. I think it was maybe uh, 25, 29 plus percent. I think it was maybe even 30 plus percent. Uh, We'll put the link down um, at the bottom of this uh, talk, but it was a surprisingly high percentage. And then the next thing was, does the discrimination or the gender bias from families match my experience? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, what I'll typically get is I'll go in a room with a resident colleague and uh, or I'll be outside a room and I'll hear a patient ask when the doctor's going to see them now this it's hard to get at because they may interpret it as because I'm a woman but it also may be just because they look younger than mm-hmm. typical uh, or maybe that you know sometimes nowadays people don't wear white coats they wear like a black north face coat so one of the things I'm really, focused on nowadays, uh, first, is making sure we give every resident the best experience we can and coach them to be the best surgeon they can be. The other thing is, given how things are nowadays in our climate, I always want to make sure that when we attribute something to gender, race, uh, ethnicity, that we have great data to show uh, Mm -hmm. that, that this is the deal. Now, I don't need data For forever. What I'm trying to say is I don't need perfect data to think that gender bias exists or racial uh, disparities exist. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that nowadays we're so focused on it and sensitive to it that sometimes I see relatively low quality data saying gender discrimination, when in reality, sometimes it may just be the resident colleague looks kind of young, isn't wearing a white coat or something Mm -hmm. similar. But I'll tell you, all that said, I do think that that situation does exist. I've seen it where um, you know patients automatically think a resident colleague is a nurse. Right. Um, and it may be, uh, I, I definitely have seen it be uh, gender-based. Did I realize it's as prevalent as this study reported it? No, I didn't. Uh, but again, I do wanna be clear that we have to, to acknowledge what we can say based on survey data is this is how often we saw things reported. It may happen more often than th- than it was reported or less often uh, than it was reported. And that's really key when we look at survey data. I hope that all makes sense to you.
0: It does. It's just, again, with survey data, you know, it's only looking at from one angle. Again, we don't have details. This was a survey, but we don't know. Were they wearing scrubs and no white coat? You know, were they incredibly young and advanced like there's so many other factors that could influence the information but all we have is just the reported survey so
1: yeah i like that they use the standard inventory for burnout etc and that was really useful because that's one you can look back on see how the questions were framed and look for framing bias i'm also i was also amazed in the disparity between hours deviations hours violations as reported across the two genders. And it was, it kind of broke it up by gender. One of the mm-hmm. things I always find fascinating in any kind of study is breaking things up by gender. How do you choose to break things up? And this one chose in some of the tables to break it up by gender. You mm-hmm. could have broken it up even further, like a very well known study about residents and which residents don't finish surgical residency. And it broke it up more specifically. It had like, you know, Asian males, married female uh, residents. It had these different things, and of course, if you make the subgroup small enough, one group will probably stand out, at least it may. So I find data fascinating. I want to be really clear as we talk through this that I am not, I am not saying there is no gender bias issue or there's no racial or ethnicity issue. I'm just saying. The challenge with survey data is to know what does that report mean? What does it Mm -hmm. represent? Uh, I have seen it in residency, uh, Jessica. And what we did in our residencies to try to avoid it is first get real data on it in our residency. We -hmm. tried to get anonymous surveys in our residency because people don't want to report because of retaliation or fears of retaliation. So we tried to eliminate that to be able to get data that we didn't know who it was from exactly, just the resident staff. So we could know how we're doing. And I think that's the best uh, we can do.
0: Um,
1: Surveys are really tough is the bottom line.
0: It's just very broad facts. It's not specialized. So again, with it being broad, it's broad strokes. So you have to treat it like that. And what I'm most interested in asking you about the burnout factor, you know, back when you were a resident, what you think the contributing factors were in your age with what you experienced for burnout versus later on as a resident director, how with medicine changing, how it's different. What caused it then? What causes it now? How is it better? How is it worse?
1: Yeah, I think with broad strokes, there's been a lot written about burnout and uh, loss of autonomy, uh, sleep irregularities, um, inability to influence your um, your surroundings, like your schedule. Mm-hmm. Those are just some of the contributing factors to burnout they've been really well teased out there's something called um, there's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs which is really well known from 1970 but then later on there's another motivational theory called McClellan's needs theory this is developed much later and they're basically three big things that keep people motivated and they are uh, autonomy um, power power uh, and it's not power to do something to someone. It's just power to decide what you're going to do. It's kind of like autonomy. So Mm -hmm. that power autonomy, uh, affiliation, or joining, being in a group, which residents Mm -hmm. definitely feel like they are, and a feeling of achievement. So they typically get called power, affiliation, and achievement. And that is a better model, some feel, for how people work in groups nowadays than the older Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So when you lose those things, you lose motivation. You feel Mm -hmm. kind of burnt out. Um, I really do agree with that. I think those are the big three to my mind. And mm-hmm. we really need to focus on how to keep people uh, feeling like they are able to do those things and have some choice, uh, right. whether they're an attending or a resident. I, I think that's key.
0: Do you think the limit on hours, because, you know, when you're a resident, there wasn't a limit on hours and now there is. Do you think that was a contribute, contributing factor to having less burnout because less hours means more sleep means more control of your schedule. And that kind of gives you power.
1: That's interesting. Uh, Of course, we're just speculating, Mm -hmm. but I think that one of the first things you lose according to sleep deprivation literature, if you're sleep deprived Mm -hmm. is the ability to tell you're sleep deprived. It's one of the (laughs) earliest things that go. It's really fascinating. There are a bunch of uh, not just books, but uh, sleep literature on it. So Mm -hmm. I think, cutting the hours and having people get more rest um, maybe now lets them perceive, oh my gosh, I'm really tired. And now they perceive it and they report it. Uh, So I think it's actually a little bit backward. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, but I think that's true. And I want to share another thing with you. There's a word resilience that gets uh, thrown around a lot. And the the thing is the question I think the study asks at the end and the conclusion is how do we make people more resilient? Because when they burn out, They get things more often like suicidal ideation, which is just so tough. And how do we, how do we make them more resilient? The word resilience almost puts the onus on the resident, on the learner to have to do more. And I, you know, they they need to be tougher. And I think that's one thing we can say, well, they're just not tough enough anymore. Sure. Okay. Maybe. But I think there are opportunities also to do things better Mm -hmm. uh, to help allow choice in their schedule where where we can to help allow some flexibility. So staff can feel like they have some power over their schedule, uh, that they're affiliated with a team. I see a lot of places do like the team jacket thing. And achievement. There are ways to not just have the end of every year where we have a um, a celebration for resident graduation. Some of them We get really dark, and residents mock each other and mock the attendings. It's it's in good fun. It's it's funny. Like a roast, you
0: guys do a roast.
1: Yeah, a lot of (laughs) residencies I've been a part of do a roast. Yeah, it's Uh some just do an awards ceremony nowadays, but there are many that still do a roast at the end, and they're hysterical. They're often really funny. Yeah, they're often really funny. But nowadays, especially if we know that achievement helps motivate people more of a focus on achievement than just a once a year, like Razzfest, I think could be really useful for certain mm-hmm. residencies. And um, there's a book called uh, games in healthcare uh, that I wrote a while ago where we talked about how to deploy a system that does that long story short. I, look, I appreciate you giving me the time to talk about all this stuff. Uh, I think though, that changing the hours has maybe been just enough for people to perceive how much they're working now and maybe now report it.
0: Yeah. I I just think I'm not going to, I'm not calling you old. Okay. But all I'm saying is you guys didn't have energy drinks when you
1: were a resident. Oh, I had an energy drink, Jessica. It was called coffee. It would be six cups of coffee, which is equivalent to about one thing of Total War or Hide or Lit or whichever energy drink you need. It's about, if I remember, it's about six cups worth of caffeine. And that was exactly what I used to do. So. Maybe
0: that's the reason you guys are so strong and resilient is all the really bad hospital coffee oh you had gosh. to drink before bangs existed. Because if you had bangs, they're delicious. And there's like a million flavors and they're all girly and amazing and you look stupid drinking them. But wow. Yeah. What that?
1: Well, I find hospital coffee, it's to be delicious. The cheaper the coffee, the better. I don't know. It must just be something from, you know, back in the day where the dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was a resident. But I find it to be delicious. The cheaper, the better. That Maxwell instant stuff. Oh, yeah. I will kill that all. So, whatever the situation, my original energy drink, old school, was coffee. And I just drank a lot of it. Did you drink it black?
0: Please tell me you drank it black.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was usually black, uh, usually. And then later on, I started to up the sugar content. I'm not sure why, maybe more energy. And then it got way off to try to get to like seven sugars and a little cup of coffee. Started black, black for years, and then one sugar, then two, then three, and then <coughs> like seven sugars in this little styrofoam cup of coffee. So anyway, that's the deal. Coffee, the original energy drink.
0: Original energy drink. They'll never know how good they have it.
1: Will they? Not at all. Well, Jessica, some things, I always like to say this, some things are better. All right. I think a lot of things we're doing now with trainees make sense and they're better, but it doesn't mean they're weaker. They have a different Mm -hmm. set of problems. They have a lot more stuff in terms of paperwork, regulation, right. so much more than even we had when we came through. So mm-hmm. it's a different kind of problem. And of course, hey, COVID, it's a different sort of resilience than yeah. what we had. So, you know, I'm not just as simple as one of those guys. It's like, well, back in my day, I drug these concrete blocks and an elephant and a chimp and a pumba and a Simone yeah, all standing that, on them.
0: part of Huh Isn't that the best part of getting older, being able to be like, well, in my day... Like I go claim that you're supposed to claim that.
1: You're right, you're right. You totally change. You totally changed my mind on it. I'm gonna 180 on that and say, back in my day, we did drag concrete blocks, entire homes, really, up and down, back and forth. People in them, people not in them. It was really <laughs> difficult. You're it right. Was- Thanks. Thanks for that, Jessica. Yeah. You're
0: welcome. I do. I do think though, probably something that was nice that you didn't have to deal with. So, and I'm so guilty of guilty of this, but like WebMD, the internet, being able to look stuff up, patients who can just look stuff up. And we think, oh, my God, I have cancer, I have this. And you know, we, we have all this knowledge, almost too much knowledge that we really shouldn't have. And so we question things, we read to you. And, you know, I'm sure there was a point before the internet before all that, if your doctor said something, you just trusted your doctor. And now we're just like, on the internet. So, you know, one way it was better for you then than it is now,
1: I bet. Yeah. You know, people say that we are information rich, but knowledge poor. Uh, And there's a couple lines about this. It turns out in the last two months, there's been more data made than in all of human history before data. So we have a glut of data, just a ton. And there's another line. Data is the new oil that there's just so much and it's so rich and you can mine it and do things with it. That is just amazing. So, You're right. Um, The issue is people go online and they have a lot of info at their fingertips that they never have, but not necessarily the knowledge. That was just starting as I finished. I finished, when I finished, uh, America Online was still the number one website. Okay. America Online, number one. And then as I finished, Yahoo was. (laughs) Almost up there at number. It wasn't Google. Okay. It wasn't Google. But now it is. And after I finished fellowship, was when I started to tell uh, staff, residents, and patients look, feel free to Google what you have. Google stuff, bring it to the office. Let me guide you through what you find, though, because a lot of the things you find, don't worry based on what you find. Right. A lot of the stuff that you find is just off the wall. Uh, and, you know, you see that all the time. I know with the social media stuff where the video mm. fact picture doesn't match at all what you search. Right. So that is the way it is. And so just as I finished is when I started to tell patients, Google your stuff, bring it into me, let me help guide you through it. And I kind of look at myself more like a guide sometimes right. than uh, just telling them or just, just saying Google stupid, don't Google it because that's not going to work.
0: But there's so many nonspecific symptoms that are just like a catch-all for multiple things, you know? And it's like, as a layman, we're not gonna be able to figure out, do we have gas or do we have cancer? Like, you know, there's some common duality in the symptoms, you know, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Jessica, I I think you're right. Um, I think though that the modern times are different with mm-hmm. respect to burnout, with respect right. to requirements of residency. And I'm glad for studies like the one we're talking about, right. whether it's just survey data or not, I'm glad it's being looked at and questioned. I think we it's important. Yeah. And I think it's important just in our modern climate to realize the limitations of the data we're getting back because we're all so ready. I think we can agree. Many mm-hmm. have strong feelings now. So it's tough to even have a conversation where we talk about gender iniquity for me as a male, uh, it's tough. I don't really have a platform easily, easily to talk about that, but it's important mm-hmm. because I think we can do better for the residents coming through than what we saw, and I think that's what it's all about. So for this article, where the link will be at the bottom. I think it's important to realize it's survey level data. It's Mm -hmm. useful. It shows us a difference in reporting on the same topic in terms of percentage between males and females. That may mean it's reported more by females. It may mean it happens more to females, or it may even underestimate because they don't want to report anything. And I think residencies do well to try to get at their own data and find out what's going on in their own residency for real, which can be really tough because residents don't want to sit in your office And tell you what's wrong with the residency. They're really worried that there will be a retaliation unless you really make it clear that there's just no issue, that you really actually want to know.
0: Yeah. I understand that all that work, all that time, they don't want to throw it away, you know? So you've gotten to see both sides from being a resident to running the residency. So, you know, it's one of the reasons I ask you stuff and I know it's just your opinion, but you just have such broad knowledge and experience. It I think it does well for everyone to just hear your experience, whether it's your opinion or not. And you make it very clear that it's just your opinion, your experience, and it's not, you know, facts for all to follow. And I super appreciate that.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's really nice of you. I think one of the keys is to wherever we start, wherever the benchmark is to always just try to improve it. So if we sent out this survey once to these ab site, uh, people taking the ab site, we got these reported numbers. What can we do to make that better? Because it's not really the absolute number. It's just showing that there's a significant improvement over time. That's really what we're going for, however we get there. So that's what I hope residencies do with these types of numbers. They Mm -hmm. kind of get a sense of how they're doing and look to be better over time, to be better tomorrow than they were yesterday. Same thing with people taking the ab site and learning the facts they need to be good general surgeons.
0: Right. Well, thank you so much for being on today. It's a great topic. Like Dr. David said, it is going to be down at the bottom where you can follow and read for yourself, form your own opinions. And thanks again for being with us today, Dr. K. I always love having you on. It's
1: always good to be here, Jessica. Thanks for the opportunity. I look forward to the next interviewees that we have because we've had a great group on so far. I know there's more coming this year. And uh, the next things coming up are really pretty cool. So the team is really excited to get the rough copy of this year's edition of the book over to you. uh, Just coming soon. It's going to be a great year.
0: So I always close out and I get really excited because I do the hashtag. But um, because we do have our podcast now where you can actually watch us, it doesn't have to just be our voices on YouTube. Why don't you share that for us real quick when your beautiful media voice. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, remember to follow us, like Jessica said, on YouTube at the Absite Smackdown channel. We're on LinkedIn, and that's at Absite Smackdown. Uh, we're also on Twitter, and that's at Absite Smackdown. We're in so many different places, and on Instagram, you can get a daily fact from Daily. and oh my gosh, there's a TikTok. The TikTok reminds you of every time a podcast episode is uh, released. Uh, and as an older guy, I'm just, I was fascinated to learn what TikTok was, but <laughs> now I know, and I do find it useful and interesting. I've learned all kinds of stuff, crazy psychological <laughs> facts and two sentence horror stories. So it's been pretty useful. It's fun to see Absite Smackdown there. And so with that, I'll throw it over to Jess, who will close us out by saying
0: hashtag Abcide Smackdown. Thanks for listening to the Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit us at Absitesmackdown.com for more great Absite facts.